church. You may be seated. Hope everyone is doing well this morning. My name is Luke, one of the pastors here at Holland Chapel. And I just got to say, the, uh, the temperatures outside are starting to look a lot like my ACT score. Anybody else? Not everyone's a good test taker, okay? Not everyone's a good test taker. Some of you are like, it'll be more uh, evident later tonight, right, when they really start to fall. Hope you're doing well this morning, church. We're in our sermon series called That's a Good Question. Last week, we looked at uh, doubt. Uh, How can a Christian handle seasons of doubt? And I, I pray with all my heart that last week, Uh, That message was encouraging to you. Uh, Perhaps a touch convicting there at the beginning when we really looked at how our doubt ultimately dishonors God. But through that doubt, we are made known how fragile our faith really is that we ultimately need God to uphold our faith every single day. So hopefully last week that was an encouragement to you. Which brings us to our question for this morning. It's going to be on the screen. Are we really once saved, always saved? Underneath that, you'll see in parentheses, can we lose our salvation? Are we really once saved, always saved? Or that question you may have asked yourself, can I somehow lose my salvation? I want to start this whole message by saying this this morning. Hopefully, you know that I lean heavily on the Word of God every single week. Without it, we have nothing. This morning, if you're a note taker, uh, if you like to write stuff down, we are going to use the Word of God heavily this morning. We are going to look at a lot of verses to help us understand the doctrine, listen to me, of eternal security, salvation for those that are children of God. We're going to look at the Bible a whole lot this morning. So I know you're going to be turning pages. You're going to be looking. They're going to be on the screen. Write them down. You can go back and reference them later. We're going to use the Word of God this morning. But this morning's question, much like last week, has to do with doubt, right? It's it's doubt that creeps up in the life of a child of God. Is there something that I've done that can make me lose myself? Like, does God really have me for all eternity? Like, it's, it's doubt. And this morning, listen to me, child of God, I believe with all my heart that God wants you to know without a doubt that you're His. Did you hear me? God wants you to know without a doubt that you are His child. Where do we get that? Romans chapter 8, 15 and 16. It says, so if you not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves, that's that doubt. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm, listen to that, to affirm that we are God's children. He wants you to know that you are His. So if at some point in your life, God made you aware of the sin in your life, that you needed Him, you needed Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to give you eternal life, to help you in these dark days, and you placed your faith and trust in Him, listen to me, you're saved. I thought I would get something out of that. You're saved! You are saved! 
And Scripture, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture that, that, that God wants you to know, He wants you to believe, He wants you to trust that He has you, that you are His, that you are His children. The Scriptures say that our spirit affirms with His and vice versa, that we are His children, that God has us. And He wants you to know without a doubt that you are His. But the question still posed. The question still posed quite a lot, if I'm being honest with you. Can I lose my salvation? And am I really once saved, always saved? I can remember as a kid or a young adolescent, as God started to awaken my soul and my spirit, and I, I placed my faith and trust in Jesus, I even recited that so famous sinner's prayer, right? And I placed my faith in Jesus, but it felt like every single night, especially after I had a particularly sinful day, I, I, would, I would crawl up in the bed every night and, and I would keep asking Jesus into my heart. You ever done that? You ever laid awake at night? Uh, I hope, God, that I've said every word of that prayer just right. That maybe if I missed a word, maybe if I missed a phrase, maybe if I didn't do something right, that somehow your grace would pass me over, Right? You ever thought that? I don't think we give this, this question enough credit that, that it comes up at some point. I mean, have I got things right? Did, did I do things correctly? Did I get this squared away? Does God really have me? Did I really confess all my sins? Like, is he, is he really going to cover me? I think it's a common question. But you see, in that phase of my life, I, I knew I needed him. But, but my understanding of the grace of God was limited. I didn't know uh, all there was to salvation. I didn't fully understand the doctrine of salvation. I knew I needed Him, and I believe He saved me, but I still had questions, right? I still doubted. Therefore, I would call up in my bed every night. God, forgive me my sins. I place my trust and faith in You. Uh, uh, God, I'm, I'm going to please forgive me my sins. Come into my heart, right? We've done it over and over and over again. Believe, child of God, this morning that You're His and that He has saved you. You see, I couldn't process all of this grace. I think that happens over a lifetime of following Him, looking at His Word, and trusting in Him. But I believe this morning He wants to remove all doubt in your heart. But listen this morning, for you to have all doubt removed, you need to be truly saved. You need to be truly saved. And that's how I want to answer the question this morning, if we know without a doubt that we are truly saved, it will ultimately remove all doubt. But I think this question comes up for several reasons. I think the question of can I lose my salvation comes up because there are churches, there are belief systems that teach a different doctrine. And that doctrine may be something that your uh, friend, your family member, your coworker may adhere to. And so you start to wonder, well, are they right and I'm wrong? Like, like maybe I need to process things differently. Maybe I need to look at Scripture differently. So, so that may place some doubt in your mind. But I think the more prevalent reason as to why we ask this question is because we don't understand how salvation works. We don't understand the doctrine of salvation. And I think it's particularly done on the air of those in the church by simple phrasing, by how we present the gospel, and by how we present salvation. 
What I'm going to say here in just a moment is not to offend anyone. I'm guilty of it as well. But I think oftentimes salvation is presented in such a way that still leaves the person with this thought that I have to do something to get it. We've all heard the analogy that that salvation is a free gift and God places it on the table in front of you and all you have to do is reach out and grab it. Listen to me, church. Dead men can't grab anything. Scripture says that we are dead in our sins. It's going to be on the screen. If we think we did something to get it, then we may think we can do something to lose it. If salvation is something that you reach out and grab, then surely in life, when the the waves and the struggles of life come, I'm going to let go, right? Not at all. If we think we did something to get it, then we may think we can do something to lose it. Listen to me wholeheartedly this morning, church. If you are truly saved this morning, it's not because of anything you did. You hear me? Not because of anything you did, but all in what Christ Jesus did. Let's look. Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5. Once you were dead, underline that word, once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Verse 4. But God is so rich in mercy, and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us what, church? Life when He raised Christ from the dead. Here we go. It is only by God's grace that you've been saved. It's going to be on the screen. Dead men can't save themselves. Dead men can't save themselves. You were dead in your sin. So let's use this imagery, church. Are you with me? Imagery matters. It helps us to understand and to process. This is the image that perhaps we've been taught. You were in the middle of the ocean and the waves were uh, raging and the storms of life were crazy and you were fighting for your life. And Jesus comes along in a boat and he throws you a lifeline and you reach out and grab it and you're saved. No, no, no. You were dead. You can't grab a hold of anything. Here's how the imagery should be. You were floating, dead corpse in the water. And Jesus comes along, and he comes up to you, and he breathes life into your lungs. And the gospel jumpstarts your heart, and he brings you to life. That's how salvation works, church. It's by nothing that you've done. If I can reach out and grab the lifeline, I can take credit for that. I can be like, man, uh, I swam the best I could. Reach over there and grab it. No. Jesus brought you to life. He saved you. He breathed life into your lungs. He brought you to life. Dead men can't grab anything. Let's keep on reading in verse 6 of Ephesians 2. For he raised us from the dead 
along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of his incredible wealth, of his grace and kindness toward us, as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. Listen to me. Paul makes it very clear and then clear again, church. Our salvation comes only from God. And God alone. In Christ Jesus. Listen to me. There's no amount. Are you hearing me? There's no amount of good works that can get you salvation. There's no amount of good days lived that can get you salvation. There's no perfect prayer that can be prayed that can get you salvation. There's no messed up prayer that can keep you from salvation. Listen to me. When God is coming after you in salvation, there's no avoiding it. Those that have been truly saved by God know what this is like. You you can't get out of His way. There's nothing you can do to mess it up. He's going to save you when he's coming after you. And listen to me, church, that should give you hope that it's nothing you've done. Therefore, there's nothing you can do to lose it. There's nothing you can do to lose it. So how does this work? How are we saved by the grace of God? Listen to me, church. Listen to me, everyone in the room this morning. The grace of God makes us aware of our need for Him. The Holy Spirit begins to move. The Holy Spirit begins to work in your life, making you, perhaps for the first time in your life, aware of the sin. Scripture tells us that it's the sin in our life that keeps us from God. We cannot dwell with Him because of the sin. So the Holy Spirit begins to move. The Holy Spirit begins to work. The Holy Spirit begins to open your eyes and your heart, making you aware of the sin in your life. And then the Holy Spirit begins to call you into Jesus. Then the Holy Spirit wakes up your heart and says, Luke, you need Jesus. Only Jesus can forgive you of your sins, Luke. Only Jesus can get you to eternity. Only Jesus can help you with today and tomorrow and the future. Only Jesus can hold you for all eternity. And it's in that moment when the Holy Spirit opened my eyes and woke up my soul, then I believed, God, I trust in you. Romans says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart, that God raised Christ from the dead, you will be saved. It's the Holy Spirit's work in your life, making you aware of your desperate need for Jesus. And when that happens, church, there's no denying Him. When that happens, church, you can't turn away. When that happens, church, you say, thank you, God, for saving me. That's how salvation works.
the Spirit of God makes us aware of our need and opens our eyes to the saving grace of Jesus. And if you've experienced this, you've truly experienced this, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what a wonderful moment that was when you were made aware of how rotten and sinful you are and how wonderful Jesus is. You can't help but follow him. And here is our hope, church. Here's the answer ultimately to the question. God holds on to what he saves. Write that down. God holds on to what he saves. But Luke, even though I've trusted in God, I've sinned. I've, I've sinned big time. We all have. First John says, uh, if, you, if you go through this life pretending that you haven't sinned, you're fooling yourself. You're lying to yourself. Once God saves you, there's nothing that can happen. There's nothing you can do to unearn it. There's nothing that can happen. We didn't earn it to begin with. God gave it to us. There's no sin that can separate it. Listen to me. John chapter 6, 35 and 40. And then we're going to jump down to John chapter 10. He helps us understand this. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me. And I will never reject them. For I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. And I will raise them up the last day. There's your hope, church. Jesus says, those that the Father has given me, further proving that God does the saving. He says, those that, that, that God has given me, I'm going to hold on to them. And I'm going to hang on to them. I'm going to hold them and I'm going to keep them till the last day. Woo, church, listen to me. That's, that's some serious doctrine that we're preaching this morning. Like Jesus is going to hang on to you. He's not going to lose you. John chapter 10, 27 through 30. Jesus says, my sheep, Listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. I'm going to read that again. No one can snatch them away from me. For my Father has given them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Further proving, when Jesus saves you, he holds on to you. And there's nothing, listen to me church, nothing you can do to lose it. Because you never grabbed it in the first place. He is holding you. And what he saves, listen to me, what he truly saves, he holds on to. And he never 
let's go. The doctrine of eternal security is more than just a doctrine that we Baptists teach. The doctrine of eternal security is essential to the faith. If you've placed your faith in a God that can let go of you, that's not much of a God at all. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, He has you, and He's going to hold you for all of eternity. I need you to believe it this morning, church. That's what the Scriptures say. The faith that saves is a faith that perseveres until the end. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm sorry, chapter 3, 12 through 14. I told you, we're going to look at a lot of Scripture this morning. Hebrews chapter 3, 12 to 14. It says, be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Verse 14. For if we are faithful to the end, trusting God just as firmly as when we first believed, we will share in all that belongs to Christ. A saving faith, the faith that God gives us, is a faith that will persevere until the end. What does this passage of Scripture mean, Luke? What what does this Scripture mean? It, It says when God saves you, when God changes you, when God breathes life into your lungs and He fills you with a saving faith, that faith hangs on until the end. That faith in which God gives you won't fade. That faith in which God gives you will sustain you till the very end. It won't go away. It will be there until the end. That's saving faith, church, in which God gives. It will persevere until the end. It will hold you and it will keep you. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. We're going to jump down and then read verse 13. John says this, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. Jump down to verse 13. I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You see, this question's not new to us. This question's been asked a long time. The book of 1 John was written to assure believers of their salvation. I encourage you to read 1 John chapter 5, all of it. He he goes on to encourage those that have placed their faith in Jesus. He's like, he's got you. He's going to hold you. You're his. And then he goes on and makes it very clear. I wrote this book to show you that you have eternal life. Have confidence this morning, child of God, that He is your Father and He's going to hold you until the very end if you have truly been saved. You are His for all eternity. And I wish with all my heart, church, that I could stop the sermon right now. I wish with all my heart we could just praise God for Jesus and the redeemed those that he has saved and called, that we could pray and be done. But I gotta keep going. I gotta keep going and we gotta we gotta talk about something else. What about those, Luke, 
that at some point in their life had made that profession or even prayed the prayer, but their life has no evidence of change. What then, Luke, do we make of those who we think have trusted in Jesus, but they keep on living in sin? There's no repentance. There's no desire to follow God. What do we make of them? Luke, what do we make of those that seemingly they followed Jesus for a long time, but now they've thrown up their hands and said, God's not real, and they walk away? What do we make of that, Luke? What, how do we understand that, Pastor? That's the reason I opened this morning with those that are truly saved. He holds and He keeps. We have to encounter the sobering thought that many may have never truly trusted in Jesus. We have to encounter the sobering thought this morning when Jesus says, narrow is the way and few will find it, that he means what he says. What, what, do we, what do we do with that person? I think Jesus gave us the answer. If you'll bear with me, I'm going to read Jesus' explanation of the parable of the sower. We're not going to read the parable. We're going to read his explanation. Luke chapter 8, 11 through 15. It says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is God's word, the gospel. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take it away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. That one's easy to understand. That one's easy. The seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while. Then they fall away when they face temptation. The seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and pleasures of this life. And so they never grow into maturity. The fourth seed. And the seeds that fell on the good soil represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it, and patiently produce a huge harvest. Jesus answered this sobering thought for us in the parable of the sower. I'm going to do my best to explain. Seed number one and seed number four, easy to understand. Seed number one fell on the hard footpath. Like the, the dirt was hard, it was compact, the seeds couldn't germinate. So, so the bird, the devil, came, comes along and, and he grabs the seed. Preventing the person from, from ever believing. Ultimately, what this is illustrating is, is the hardening of the heart. Those that hear the gospel are like, that's foolish, not I. And they never trust in Jesus. The fourth one, those who the Holy Spirit has prepared their heart. They hear the gospel, the, the, the seed hits the soil, and it germinates. The roots grow deep, and they have that saving faith that produces life, that produces works that is a changed life. Pastor James tells us in his book that a, a, a faith, a, a true faith, is one that works. We're not saved by works, but, but works are evident of a saved life. But what do we make of two and three, Pastor? 
What is Jesus talking about? What I love when we read this, he, he, he gives us explanation. The, the, the seed that fell on the rocky soil, it even says they, they received it with excitement. But nothing ever changed. That when the sun got high and the life was tested, it says it burned them up and they withered away. Why? Because they didn't have saving faith. The gospel never penetrated the heart. How I like to illustrate this, and listen, I was saved at church camp. I'm not picking on church camp. But we have those, uh, we have those moments of, of emotional and spiritual high. Where, man, God's, uh, the gospel's been preached. Everything is great. My friends are coming to Christ. <laughs> That's for me, right? Then I go back home. There's no life change. I, I said that I was saved, but I'm not a different person. This is what Jesus is talking about. The gospel never grabbed root. The, the, the gospel never changed that person. It was shallow. It was shallow. So for me, when I read the parable, there's two categories. Even though four seeds are presented, there's two categories. Lost saved. Those that the gospel grabbed root and changed their life and those that it didn't. So maybe this morning, seeds one, two, or three might be you. That maybe you have a very shallow understanding of the gospel. You may have even received it with joy, what Jesus said. But there's been no life change. The gospel has not took root in your heart. You look the same today as you did yesterday and the day before and the day before. There's no difference in your life. There's no desire to be obedient to Him. There's no desire to look and to observe His law and do what it says. There's no desire to repent of your sin because you've not been changed. So we need to encounter the sobering thought this morning. I'm not presenting this to place doubt in your heart. I'm presenting you this because we need to examine our heart. That's the whole point of the parable. It's the heart. Where's your heart at? Has it been changed by the gospel? If it hasn't, as we read, let today be the day. But what do we do with those, pastor, that have said they believed, gone through the motions even probably for years, and they reject? We call that person the apostate. They have committed apostasy. First John chapter 2, we're not going to put it on the screen, but First John chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, they go out from us, speaking to the church, because they were never really a part of us. They were never saved. They were never truly saved by the gospel. But listen to me, church. There's hope. There's hope for seeds 1, 2, and 3, and there's hope for seeds that those that walk away. Listen to me. John, James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about forgiveness of many sins. This is what James is talking about. So let me fill your heart with hope this morning. Because you may be thinking about a family member, you may be thinking about a loved one, you may be thinking about a child or grandchild, 
And the only assurance that you have is that at some point in their life they trusted in Jesus. I don't see it now. And so you may be thinking this morning, are they really saved? That may be a good question to ask. But James gives us hope. Go get them. Go get them. Present the gospel. Present the gospel. Present the gospel. Pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for them. Present the gospel again. And James says, whoever goes and gets the wanderer and brings them back, my goodness, you've saved their soul. Not literally. You've brought them back to the saving grace of Jesus. And perhaps then they'll be saved. So there's hope. I want to share a story with you this morning. A young lady named Becca. I was in student ministry what feels like a lifetime ago. Becca was an intellectual. Loved to think things through. And I love that. That's why we're doing this whole series. Ask questions. I'm confident that the Word of God will answer it. Becca, she was a thinker. I remember when she was saved, or so we thought. My wife and I had prayed for her. She had dealt with all kinds of things, eating disorder, you, you name it. She comes to Jesus, so we think, and we are on cloud nine. She was in my student ministry, discipled her, shared the Word of God with her, everything. Her senior year, second semester, almost leaving the ministry, she comes to me and my wife at the same time. She says, I need to tell you something. I only told you I was saved to make you happy. Right? She said, God doesn't exist. He's not real. There's nothing in the Bible that's true. I've read this. I've read that. I've looked at this and looked at that. I can't believe in this. It's false. So I did what I could, prayed for her, gave her some books that she liked to read. It's like a 500-page book. She read it in a week. She said, that was good. Becca graduated, and she went to college. My time of influence over her life had really come to an end. Listen to me, church. Two years later, Becca calls me. She says, what are you doing on such and such a date? I said, I don't know. Why? I want you to come to my baptism. She said, Luke, I was wrong. And Jesus saved me. You see, church, there's hope. I wasn't the one in James 5.20. I'm so thankful that a college pastor ran into her at some point and was the one in James 5.19-20. There's hope. Listen to me, there's hope. Never lose hope that God can and God will save. But listen to me, child of God. If you've truly been saved by God this morning, He'll have you for all eternity. Let me pray for you. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. And we read so much of it this morning. And I pray that your church falls in love with your word. That they would adhere to it, yield to it, and grow. God, thank you for salvation. 
thank you that you've made it so clear and you want us to know without a doubt that when you save us, you have us. You're going to hold on to us. You're going to keep us for all eternity. So I pray for the child of God this morning that came into this room maybe doubting whether or not you have them completely. And I pray for them this morning that you would remove all doubt, that they could leave this place today knowing good and well that you saved them and you're going to hang on to them. But God, I can't help but preach the doctrine of salvation and my heart be broken for those this morning that don't know you, that have never had their eyes opened and their heart awakened to the gospel of Jesus. So God, I pray for them this morning. For those in this room that aren't saved, that you would move in their hearts, that you would move in their minds, that you would make them aware of their desperate need for you. And they would come to you, Lord. I'll pray for them. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. We ask everything in his precious and holy name. Amen.